Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. The sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will be who will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you give me something to eat. I was thirsty, sorry, and you give me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, I looked around at the small group of folks who joined us for the Christianity Explored course. Now, if you don't know, that's a seven-week course. It, as the name suggests, it helps people to explore Christianity for the first time. Anyway, after welcoming everyone there on that particular evening, I, I began with the question that um, I almost always begin with in these uh, courses. I said to everyone, what brings you here? What made you want to come? Now, people have all kinds of answers when when you ask them that. Some people have been thinking for a long time about the big questions of life. Other people have maybe been knocking around in church for a while, but they they never really feel they've got to grips with who Jesus is. Just to encourage you, by the way, far and away, the most popular answer given, the most uh, popular reason for people being there is simply this. A friend invited me. So never underestimate the simple power of an invitation. 
but that's off the point. On this particular occasion, when I asked the question, what brought you here? One man's answer stood out. He leaned in at me and looked at me with a piercing stare. And he said, I've come across some people from your church. And I began to sweat and think, oh no, who has he met? What have they done? What have they said? But he went on. I was so impressed with the good that they did and the love that they showed in our community that I've come here to see what it's all about. True story from right here in Burghead. Well, last week we had a a little bit of a break for uh, Remembrance Sunday, but over the last few weeks we have been journeying through this book, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, together. We've been seeing that all of us have a front line, some place in our lives where we are in regular contact with people who don't yet know Jesus. Could be your workplace, could be your family, could be with the grandkids, could be in your local sports club, whatever it is. And we've been seeing as well that Jesus calls every one of us to fruitfulness on that front line. The kind of fruitful living that his people are to display. And so far we've seen that, that, that God wants us to display godly character, modeling godly character. Then we saw that he wants us to make good work. They all begin with M, you'll have noticed. And then today we reach our third kind of fruitfulness to which we are called, which is this, ministering love and grace. And when that book appeals to us to live on our front lines with an attitude and an outlook of love and grace, it takes us to these verses from Matthew chapter 25, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? King replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now those are very well-known words. But I want to suggest they are words that are not always understood properly in context. So we need to ask, what was Jesus talking about when he said those famous lines? Well, that's our first point. You'll see it on your sheet and on the screen. Fruitfulness in light of the future. See, this whole section of Matthew's gospel, really from chapter 24, verse 36, has a focus on the future. Just look back there now. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, But about that day or hour, that is the day or hour that Jesus returns, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they, not, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. In other words, Jesus says that he is coming back And when he does come back, some people will be ready and others will not. 
And from there, Jesus goes on to tell four quick parables, really to make that same point in slightly different ways. So he tells the parable of the faithful and wise servant who diligently cares for his master's household whilst awaiting his return. He tells the parable of the ten virgins, only half of whom are ready with oil in their lamps when the bridegroom eventually comes. And then he tells the parable of the bags of gold, about the servants who were left with money to invest, some of whom invested it wisely and worked hard and received a blessing from their generous master, but one of whom didn't do that. He misunderstood the master and buried the gold and wasted his life. And then fourthly, finally, there's the parable of the sheep and the goats. That's our focus today. When Jesus will return, he says, he will divide all people into these two categories. Those who have responded to him rightly with faith and those who haven't. And in different ways that the point is the same in each of these parables. Jesus is coming back and we must be ready. And let me say, when Jesus speaks about his return like he does here, the point is never to draw us into useless, needless speculation about exactly when Jesus will come. Some Christians seem to waste an enormous amount of time and energy trying to predict the date or the time of the return of Christ. When Jesus himself said, nobody knows the hour that he will come, which means that kind of guessing is actually just pointless, fruitless enterprise. The fact is, Jesus says his return will seem delayed. He will seem a long time coming, which of course is borne out not just by the parables he told, but by the evidence. Here we are, 2,000 years on, still waiting. So Jesus doesn't talk about his return to lead us into a kind of pointless speculation about the timing. No, he speaks about his return to lead us to concrete action to make sure we are prepared, whatever the timing of his return. And so the key question from this passage, which I reckon is really the key question in all of life, is this. How can we be ready for the return of Jesus? Or to put it another way, to use the title of our book, what kind of fruitfulness does he expect from us to show that we're ready? And to answer all of that, we arrive in this parable, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, with the sheep and the goats. Have a look there again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. We've seen already, Jesus will make a separation. The sheep, his people, from the goats, not his people. And this separation has eternal consequences. The sheep are led off, as we read, to an eternal inheritance in God's perfect kingdom. But the goats, those who don't belong to him, will hear Jesus say, verse 41, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Remember, these are the words of Jesus, the most loving man who ever lived. These are not scare tactics. This is a loving warning. The stakes could not be higher. The consequences couldn't be more serious. And so again, the key question is this, isn't it? What makes the difference? Right? What marks out the sheep from the goat? How do you know if you are a sheep or a goat? Now, at first glance, you might think that the difference between the sheep and the goats is the difference between verse 35 and verse 42. So look at verse 35. Here are the sheep. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. By contrast, look at verse 42. Here you see the goats heading to everlasting punishment. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, and so on. And when you read that, it would be easy to conclude that salvation is by works. That when Jesus returns, he will weigh our good deeds, and those who have done good will inherit eternal life, and those who've done evil will inherit eternal punishment. But don't be too hasty to think that. For a start, that would mean Jesus was contradicting much of the rest of the New Testament. But more than that, look at the details here. Look carefully at what the king says to the sheep. Verse 34 now. He said, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Notice three things. Firstly, the sheep are those who are blessed by God. The sheep are not those who have blessed God with their good works. Secondly, the kingdom that they gain is called an inheritance. And we all know you don't earn an inheritance. That's not how inheritance works. An inheritance is yours as a gift because of the family that you belong to. And then thirdly, notice that the, the everlasting life that the sheep are given was, quote, prepared for them since the creation of the world. That is before they even lived and were able to do any good works to earn it. So no, salvation is not by works. It's not something we earn. Salvation is a free gift of faith, which is given to all whom God chooses and calls. And as we put our faith in Jesus, as we accept him as our Savior and Lord, our sin is washed away and we are adopted into the Father's family. And of course, those in the Father's family will inherit his kingdom because that's how inheritance works. But you might say, well, okay, so what's all this stuff about feeding the hungry then and giving water to the thirsty? What is this relationship between our faith in Jesus and all of these good works? Well, there is an undeniably clear strand of, te of teaching in the New Testament that says, in some ways, the final judgment will be according to works. So, Matthew 7, 21, not those who say to me, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. They're my people. Or Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. He will reward each person according to what he has done. 
Or Romans 2 verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Or the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22, Behold, I'm coming soon, my reward is with me, I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And so what all of those verses make crystal clear is that there is a connection between faith and good works. And the connection is this. If we have real faith, if we have genuine faith, that faith will not only save us, it will also change us. And it will produce good works. The reformer John Calvin said it this way. It is faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. By which he meant it's always accompanied by good works, because real faith always changes us and produces good works. Which is exactly the same point as the Apostle James makes in his letter. You know these words, I'm sure. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? The answer is no, because faith that doesn't transform our living shows itself to not have been real faith at all. So those who are really saved by Jesus, those who put their faith in him, we will, in fact, we must feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, care for the stranger, clothe the naked, and so on. I don't think it's meant to be an exhaustive list this is ministering love and grace this is part of the fruitfulness that God calls us to on our front lines now I want you to take heart and be encouraged that's the end of point one that was the longest point by some considerable way here's point two ministering grace and love in the church I wonder if you noticed in the parable that the the people who belong to God the sheep They were kind of surprised when Jesus says that they have fed him and clothed him and cared for him. Look at verse 37 again. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you needing clothes and so on? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the key word there is brothers. Jesus says, whenever you showed this kind of grace and love to the brothers, you were in effect showing it to him. And there's no question that in Matthew's gospel, that word brother is always used to refer to fellow Christians. So that the grace and love that Jesus is speaking about here is primarily the grace and love shown within the church family. And it shouldn't surprise us to hear Jesus talk in that way. So the New Testament makes it clear that that those who are Christians are in Christ. There's also that metaphor, isn't there, of the body. Remember, the the church, we are the body and and Christ is the head. Or think um, think about Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus when he met the risen Jesus. Remember, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus, he was persecuting the church But the point is, to attack the church is to attack Jesus, because he's the head and they're the body. And what we have here is the same, but, but the opposite point. To show grace and love and care and to give help to the church, to God's people, 
in effect, is to show your love to God himself. So right now, if you're in the building, this is going to feel a bit odd, but do it anyway, look around at your church family. And if you're at home, you'll just have to imagine this. And I want you to think, yeah, that's enough looking. (laughs) We're we're still quite British after all, it's enough. I want you to think, do you love them? Do you really love these people? With all their foibles, all their eccentricities, all their annoying habits. I'm just talking about myself at this stage. Do you love them? Do you really love them? Would you show them hospitality? Are you feeding them? Would you clothe them? Would you give them that level of help if they fell on hard times? Would you look after them? Do you look after them in sickness? Notice as well that these are not only expectations that Jesus has for elders or church leaders, although of course it includes them, but these are expectations of fruitfulness for his whole people, for all the sheep. That is the evidence, or some of it at least, that our faith is real and genuine. And I've got to tell you, I want to encourage you today that I thank God for the love that I do see within our church family. For example, on a few occasions, I or the elders have acted as anonymous go-betweens because one church member wanted to give financially to another church member who was really struggling without them ever knowing where the money came from including some very significant sums. And to that sort of thing, Jesus would say, well done. I was hungry and you fed me. I can think of several people, although one sticks out in particular in our church family, who I think is one of the most encouraging Christians I have ever met. I think I could stand up and read the phone book on a Sunday morning and this person would still say, thank you, that was such a great sermon. When this building was being renovated, I'll never forget the day Chris Harris and I were in here having a discussion about how we were several thousand pounds short of where we needed to be to complete, not even to complete, but to continue with the works. And shortly after, I think it was the same day, a person walked in with a check for several thousand pounds. This was not a wealthy person. I think, in effect, this amounted to this person's life savings. Now, these are big examples. And Jesus makes it clear that small things matter too. But this kind of love and kindness and care and generosity within a church family, all of that is evidence that faith is real. And whenever we see that in our church, it's as if Jesus says himself, well done. Whatever you did, even for the least of these brothers and sisters, even in the least little way, you did it for me. And then, of course, sadly, because we're not a perfect church and no church is, there are also times when I as the minister or we as the elders have had to discuss situations where one Christian has hurt another, usually with careless words or harmful speech. But I want to encourage you that there is much more of the former than the latter. And Jesus exhorts us here. He says to us, if your faith is real, how is it being seen in acts of love to your church family? He's warning us. He's saying, I'm coming back. 
Jesus could come at any moment. Don't be fooled into thinking his return has been cancelled. When he comes, will he find our faith to be real? Now, of course, you can't love your church family if you don't know them well, which is another reason why we think small groups are so essential. And if you're not part of one, let me gently say to you, you're missing out. We'd love you to be part of a group if you can. Anyway, the main application, the primary application of this passage is that we should minister love and grace within the church family. But that principle, of course, does not need to stop at the church door. It also applies in the world. And so finally, and I promise this is the briefest one, ministering love and grace in the world. Let me simply share with you a story from the book, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. Mark Green, who's the author, says, says this. There's a reason why the public reception counter at your average magistrate's court is behind reinforced glass screens and accessed through locked doors. Actually, there's a number of reasons. Solicitors can often be impatient and rude to staff to the point of disdain, and those who arrive at a magistrate's court for obvious reasons usually arrive stressed, upset, and occasionally volcanic with anger. In such circumstances, it's pretty easy, as a member of staff, to see all these people as a nuisance, as an irritant, as the enemy. Indeed, staffing the public reception counter instilled an understandable measure of fear in pretty much every member of the staff team. One day, a young man called Dave came to the counter asking for help to fill out a form for a non-molestation order, which is an emergency court order to prevent someone from hassling you. As such, it's pretty important to get it done quickly and right. It soon became apparent to Chrissy, one of the workers, that Dave had a learning disability, since every question had to be explained several times. And behind him, a long queue was forming at the counter, a queue of stressed, upset, volcanically angry people. And Chrissy realized that significant time would be required to help Dave in a situation which made no allowances for a lengthy focus on one person. The choice was to tell Dave that she couldn't spend any more time with him or Chrissy went to her section manager and asked if a colleague could staff her counter while she went off and helped Dave. When the form was complete, Dave expressed concern that he wouldn't be able to get to his day centre in time for lunch. He could phone them, but he needed help to phone them. Now, it is not in the job description of a magistrate's court clerk to help customers make phone calls. But Chrissy came out from behind the locked partition of glass and walked David to the public phone in the entrance hall and called the number for him and explained the situation. Yes, of course, the day centre said, we'll put some food aside for him. And when Chrissy returned back behind the safety of the glass partitions and the locked doors, her colleagues thought she was mad to go to so much trouble for a bloke like Dave. But as Chrissy put it, I saw in him a person whom God loved, a person who was valuable in my father's eyes, someone in trouble who needed help. The fact is, as we go about our daily lives, we are also surrounded by people, including by the Daves of this world. 
There are people in the queue at the supermarket. There are the folk on the street. There are the guys in your class at school. There are the parents at the school gate. And I reckon sometimes we're just minded to think that all these people are basically just a nuisance. The queue is what is standing between you and getting your shopping finished. The folk in the street are just in your way. The guys in your class... Maybe they're just a kind of another social ladder that you need to climb and try and fit in with. And the parents at the school gate, oh, they're just kind of annoying, especially the ones that keep talking to you. But what if our mindset changed? What if it was different? In fact, if we really have placed our trust in Jesus as Savior, and if we're following him as Lord, our mindset must change. And when it changes, all of a sudden, these people are not merely an annoyance. They're not just standing between you and your shopping. These are precious people made in the image of God. They have unique dignity and value. And they also have an eternal destiny, heaven or hell. So when the people in our village here in Burkhead, or wherever it is that you live, when they think of where they might find kindness, I wonder, is Burkhead Free Church top of their list? It should be. Or when the people of our village think about where they might find provision and help in a time of need, is Burkhead Free Church top of their list? It should be. Again, as we close, let me say, to encourage you that there are some encouraging signs. Think of our, our blessings box. In fact, think of all the work that's gone on during COVID. Cast your mind back to March 2020. Feels like a long time ago. Really long time ago. When the community council were thinking, who, who do we partner with in the village to do the blessings box and food provision and community shopping and hot meals? It's an encouraging sign that they came to us, isn't it? That's how it should be. And in fact, just this morning, um, at half past eight, I got a call from someone uh, wanting to give a whole bunch of money to the blessings box. Praise God for that kind of generosity. As we sat around in our Christianity Explored group, the conversation moved on, but I kept on thinking long and hard about that gentleman's answer. He'd come to explore our faith because he'd seen the good deeds of some people in this congregation. I think it was the folk who would do in Hot Meals and Blessings Box, actually. Now, he did not quote this verse. I don't even know if he knew this verse. But in a sense, his story was a living proof, a living example of this verse. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. We'll finish with these words. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds... And glorify God on the day he visits us. That is the day Jesus returns. Let's go and do it. And for now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this kind reminder of Jesus that he is returning. And Lord, we pray that when he does, he might find faith, real faith, in us, in our church. The kind of faith that transforms our living for the good of those around us for the spread of your gospel and for the glory of your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button.
For more information, go to birkheadfreechurch.org.